1: Let's face it. Happy Sunday, everyone! It's September the twentieth, two thousand fifteen, and you're tuned in to Let's Face It. We're your host, Alicia Brown,
2: and Will Strayhorn.
1: Hi, Will. How are you this weekend? This Sunday. You
2: know, well, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty okay good.
1: Okay now. Okay yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how I feel you? like there's. I can't complain. I, I just feel like we've had so much stuff going on this weekend, yeah. or really this week. I think we've really had jam-packed weeks. Yes. So, as always, I'm going to ask, what was so exciting about your weekend?
2: Um, I'm going to bypass a lot of it and just get to the point that I was able to get back in the groove of writing in my book. I've written probably yes. three chapters so far this weekend. And just prior to coming on to the show, I was I was putting off writing because um, I was putting off logging in to the system because I was I was in the middle of a chapter and it was just flowing. I didn't want to stop it. Yeah. But as soon as the show is over, I'm going to get back to it. Yeah, it's been a good weekend for that. What about oh, yourself? I love it. I know you had a oh. lot going on. Then you do some, you, you did something that we we're going to talk about a little bit later on. What you have next week? But what did you do this past weekend?
1: You know, you know how we do. We're always involved in a lot of different things. But I exactly. think what is so wonderful to me is when you have that opportunity to give back, and mm-hmm. especially when you can give back according to your purpose and according to your platform. Oh, um, God. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: we talk about that. There's that word again.
0: There's
2: a word.
1: Purpose. Purpose. Yes. Purpose. Purpose. So yeah. important. And, you know, there's a wonderful, you know, for those in the Virginia area, there's a wonderful program um, called Building Our Success Strategies. And it's actually a free seven-month program um, for young girls aged 10 to 17. Um, Right now it's primarily in the Newport News area on the peninsula of Virginia. But anyway, I had the opportunity to be a guest speaker. Um, I will also serve as a mentor for that program. But, you know, I, I met a young lady and we shared the same testimony. Actually, certain things that happened in our childhood just mimic each other, even though she had other areas that were far worse. And it always breaks my heart when you're sharing your testimony, you're trying to encourage youth, and that youth starts crying, and you mm. go to hug them, and they just oh collapse God. in your arms. Yeah. You know, on one hand, it, it makes you feel good that, you know, your purpose. Is is having an impact But it mm-hmm. breaks your heart That this is one more child
0: yeah.
1: One more family One more story And you know one of the things that always breaks me And we've done shows about it before Is mm-hmm. people really They overlook the voice of children And why suicide Is such a problem with our youth Hello. And you know when you hear Of young children that have been through that And they've committed suicide It really really Breaks your heart but you know what? I said all of that. You know how I am. I, I get everybody crying and emotional.
3: But there was one
1: cool thing about this week. So i got to get us back before we all bust out in tears. One cool assignment about this week. Well, actually, there was a few cool assignments. But I had the opportunity to speak to a fabulous person. Um, and, you know, we always talk about for media personalities, this is like one of the blessings of our job you meet right. some great people and have the opportunity to spotlight some great people. Right. Danielle Truitt, who is described as the triple threat herself, actor, dancer, singer, has this wonderful play. And I'm not gonna tell y'all that I already saw it, but I did already see it. <laughs> uh, <What? laughs> yes. You know, not it's going premiere in Nor I'm sorry, it's going to premiere in New York City on Wednesday, September twenty sixth. But I had the opportunity to interview this fabulous person with this fabulous play, and you know what? I'm gonna let her introduce that herself. Okay. So, welcome Danielle. Hi. How are you this evening? <laughs> well, I know it's coming down to the wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my house is a catastrophe right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Three Black Girl Blues, which is the name of the play, opened up to rave reviews, was extremely successful in Los Angeles and Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And I just found out a few days ago it is sold out. Yes, it sold out yesterday, but they added a performance at seven thirty on the same day. So oh, I'm, I'll do one at seven thirty, and then I'll do another one at nine. So the nine o'clock one is sold out, but there's still there's tickets available for the seven thirty. Praise so. the Lord! Praise yes. the Lord! Because I I hate to tell the listeners I'm sorry. We tried <laughs> to tell you earlier in the week. You should sure have got your ticket. Okay, so there's going to be some more tickets. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. <laughs> So what what is this play all about? Man, um,
4: well, three in particular. Like I like I told you when we talked last
1: week, um, Black Girl Blues is a series, and so it's a series of three one-woman shows. And the first play in the series, Black Girl Blues, is three,
4: and it's basically about three women, um, Keisha, Jill, and
1: Stephanie, who uh Our friends have been friends since childhood, and they all come to a certain point in their life where they kind of have to deal with their demons and face uh, some of the things that they've been uh, avoiding in their lives, and so it's just a really awesome um, story, um, a journey through the three women's lives, and just seeing, like, they got ugly skeletons in their closet that they've been trying to, like, keep there, but... Um, it just comes to a point where a lot of stuff is revealed um, about their lives and the betrayal that they have um, shown to one another. Um, and just, you know, their journey and where they're going to go from there.
2: Wow. Hi, Danielle. This is Will Strayhorn. How are you doing?
5: I'm good. Nice to meet That's
2: you. Good. You as well. I've heard a lot about you from Alicia. She's been your biggest cheerleader ever since. Um, we've been trying to get you on the show. Well, I have a question. So is this going to be another one of those plays where, as a black man, I go through and you guys are beating up on us? Or is this something that I can go and see? Or, you know, or should I just stay home? Is this something just for the black women?
5: You know what's crazy? Man.
1: Um, no, it doesn't beat up on the black man. My dad is very big about, like, not going to stuff where it's like, you know, everything is like putting the black man down and stuff Right. He loves this show, and he is coming all the way from Sacramento. and and my mom are coming to oh, see this okay. show. Um, okay. Um, so, yes, I will say this. There is a black man in the show that okay. um done some very horrible things.
5: <laughs> okay. 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 Um, definitely has done some horrible things, but but um, it doesn't focus on it
4: doesn't focus
5: on him. You know, the
1: the story is so much so much about the women and the horrible things they have done that right. you you never see him in the play anyway. He's just talked about, you know. Um, but when when you compare it to the things that these three women have done, like right. <laughs> they're, it's, they're all in a you know okay. you know okay. it's definitely. We're not putting the black man down We love the black man Alright yeah.
2: thank you I Appreciate <laughs> that. You can still
1: go Will You can still get your All tickets But you know after viewing the play And then speaking with you Danielle The three main characters Seem so different But really yes. You know they speak to every person I mean it, it. you know I know it says Three black girl blues but it this yeah. was something that wasn't about being black, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways it, it, it's not even about being a woman, even though these are issues mm-hmm. that women are having. Right. It, it just really spoke to everybody. But, you right. know, you shared an interesting fact. Um, the playwright and creator of the play, Anthony Dewan, he sent you this masterpiece, and initially mm-hmm. you didn't like it. Yep. Um <laughs> Can you tell us briefly about that transformation that took place in your life that made you sort of take a second look at this? Yeah, sure. So when he first sent it to me, I read the first character he was teaching. She's very urban, you know, ghetto, for lack of a better term. And, um, she um, she uh, is ghetto. And I was like, I am not playing this ghetto good rat.
4: Like, like, who, who is going to want to listen to this woman? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is she talking about? I I, I didn't even finish it. I just didn't respond, you know. And so then uh, I got pregnant with my first child, and just some things, God just did
1: some different things in my life. And, you know, I went through childbirth, and I believe that will change any woman um, and any pr- perspective on life when you have, you know, went through having a child and you know my experience with my first child was very traumatic you know so after coming through that um I just started to think about myself differently and think about life differently and I read one day I was like you know I wanted I want to continue working on my one-woman show so I'm like let me just read the scripts again you know Mm -hmm. Uh, And once I read it, I was just not in a happy place in my own life. And so I was reading Keisha, and I was putting a lot of judgment on Keisha, which is probably the judgment I was putting on myself, because I wasn't happy with who I was, you know. Mm -hmm. And so after having my child and stuff, I I read it again. And I was just in a different place, and I actually read the entire script. And when I got to the end of Keisha's, I was like, Oh my God Like I hadn't even got to the second character yet
6: Uh
0: And so I
1: kept reading reading and by the end of the I was crying, just reading the script, like, you know and so I called him and I was like, We're doing this play And he's like, What are you talking about? I was like, three He's like, What about it? I'm like, We're doing it (laughs)
4: Like like, I got the space, like he's like, Oh, okay, we're doing it, you know? And so
1: I just – I was telling uh, I was telling her the other day when we were talking that, you know, when it comes to acting, it's important that we don't judge our characters that we're playing because if we judge them, then we can't be truthful when we portray them, you know. And so, right. Keisha, all these women do things that I would never do,
4: but they also do things that I have done <laughs> as well, you know. <laughs>
1: and so I just look at – I love who they are. I love the flaws that they have. And I know that I don't put nothing past anybody because I don't put nothing past myself. And I've done certain things that I am not proud of, you know. And so I just, I I consider it an honor to play these women and to tell this story and just say, like, we're all the same. We all mess up. We all fail, you know. Mm-hmm. We all, But we all have an opportunity to do things different if we really want to, you know.
4: Yeah. And that's why. That's why I think that it transcends race and color because everybody
1: can connect to that thing. Yes. Right.
4: Yeah.
0: Right.
2: Also, Danielle, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that it was the beginning of a series, correct?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. And you also have other production plans in the works. Can you tell us a little bit about them?
0: Sure. Um, so.
4: So we have titles for the next two shows but <laughs> we haven't written the script for work. The second one's called Casually Gorgeous. And
1: mm-hmm. um I mean the overall point of that of that um of that story or that play is just to it's to talk about female beauty being the embracing of what real beauty is. Um right. and and how beauty is portrayed in the media. I mean for
4: black women, period, we have always been the brunt of, you know, just feeling like we're not as beautiful as the next race, right. or not
1: desired uh-huh. as other races, and you know, they they take, you know, Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian and Iggy Azalea, you know, it, they're celebrated
4: for their big butts and their big lips, you know, but the right. black women
0: have had
1: a lot of us have had the features since the beginning of time. We are not celebrated at all for these things. We're considered fat and ugly, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a woman, black woman
4: with big lips.
1: I, you know, I I inherited nice full
4: mama, and I've went through my own going you know, through my own things, being teased about it and all that kind of stuff. So traveling gorgeous
1: is about uh female beauty. And of course I'm a black woman so it's definitely gonna come from that 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 way but Female beauty and love, you know. And then the third, the third one is going to be a musical. I'm also, I also sing, so oh. the third one is like a musical yeah. show. So it's going to be called Jody, and uh-huh. it's basically it's like an kind of going to be uh, what we've talked about as being like an an homage to like Whitney Houston and people like that who struggled in their lives yeah. and died too soon because. Of the struggles of of fame and you know uh-huh. drug
5: and, and, like what
4: fame really does to you. Like everybody wants to be famous, everybody thinks it's like great, but it's it's yeah. hard,
5: you know.
4: And it, it, uh-huh. just because you're famous doesn't mean you don't have demons
1: and things that you're struggling yeah. with. You know?
4: Right. That's so in right, addition right. to being
2: entertained, you're gonna walk away with some with a lesson. You're gonna you're okay. gonna be teaching self-esteem and you know how to take yeah. pride in your heritage as well. That's good.
5: Yeah.
1: And the way, it's done, the way it's done is going to be clever and witty, and it's not going to be like, hey, now this is the point in the script or in the show where we're going to teach you a lesson. Like, you know, it's, it's up to you to get what you need to get from it, and we're not here to tell you what you should get from it, you know. Right. So we'll see. But, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Perfect. And I will say that that was the cool thing about the play. Because, you know, you you go to plays, and and it does feel that way. Okay, now this is seen at blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's the point that's coming. But it was just like you would get so engrossed in the character. Mm -hmm. And, it's like, by the time you would switch to the next person, it's like, but wait a minute. What about? (laughs) It was like, you know, it it wasn't scripted. It it was just so enjoyable, so enriching. It was just like, wow. And then it's like when it's all finished, you know, you're just sitting there like, well, what about? Well, did they? And did she? Well, what? You know? It, so I love. Right. it. I mean, I loved it. I want to see. Alicia, all the stop throwing
2: in that you already saw it. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: I'm I sorry. catch
2: that. I'm catching that. I'm catching that. But, but, hear, it in my face. but here, but hear
1: what you heard what she said. They added an additional show.
0: So oh, okay. you still
1: have a chance. Seven o'clock Wednesday, okay. New York. You were working out.
2: Okay. You All can right. work that All out. Right. I'll chill out. I'll
1: chill out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danielle, thank you so much. I mean, we were honored to have you on the show. Yeah. Was honored to do the yeah. interview with you. And you know what? Just just keep us posted because we really mm-hmm. want to know about the other series coming up because we want to be able to see it. And I know the listeners just, will too. <laughs> really, I really appreciate you guys. You know. It's hard for us artists that are kinda just coming up, you know, we don't have huge names and you know, we're not known and sometimes, you know, we don't get we don't get the love uh that that we, you know, wanna get, you know, for our projects and stuff and so I just really appreciate you guys uh having me on Aww. today. Lots You're welcome. To me. You're welcome. Well, you thanks, know,
0: thanks for we'll coming
1: have on. To do it again. Exactly. <laughs> right? For the next yeah. one.
2: For the next one. For the next yeah. series. Exactly. Yeah. Yes.
1: yes, thank Perfect. you guys so much. Well, nothing but continued blessings and all of the success on Wednesday night. Thank you so much. Thank you. All righty. Have, Have a, a good, good evening. night. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah. Bye. Bye. Uh, really you really cool. You know, you, you, you wanted to go to New York, so so there you go. I mean, that's where you your yeah. school so, yeah. You know. But, you know, exactly. we also have to thank Orange Lost PR of Los Angeles, who is the okay. publicist for Danielle Truitt, and also okay. some other mainstream artists, you know, like Mr. Kerry Too Smooth Marshall, Jr., who I also had the pleasure of interviewing this week, who leaves tomorrow for Dubai with Jason Durulo. Awesome, awesome guy. Awesome guy. Awesome.
2: So you have a workshop coming up next week. Correct? You know
1: what? You are sure. you are correct. And here's another thing it. you're doing a
2: lot. You're doing a whole bunch. I Let know. me just interject. See? You're doing a whole bunch.
1: That's why I'm so tired. But but you know, it's it's back to that thing you and I always discuss about purpose. <laughs> That's why we mm-hmm. do it. Um, you know, if we go back to October, that was that twenty year dream actually came to fruition where I published my first book. And you know from there, the book, the radio show, all of these awesome things. But what I was finding is people kept coming to me talking about, well, how did you write the book? I always wanted to write a book, blah, 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 blah. So, of course, you know, the LLC took off from there. But I'm doing an instructional workshop on how to make writing easy. Um, You probably will attest to with your book. Um, you know, people just think of chapters. People think of, I have to do it this way. And a lot of times when it's not just flowing from your heart, flowing from your spirit, sometimes it seems really hard to put it together. And I really think that's the way people set it up when they start writing. You know, there I won't say there's a formula, but there's some tricks, there's some techniques that, you know, you need to write from the spirit. And I am, you know, a true believer, I I really believe in this season, everybody has at least one book they should publish. I don't care if that book is because of your business and you want to, you know, increase your platform, increase your audience, or maybe there's something you're really passionate about. Um, A lot of the people I work with, there's a lot of things that you have survived. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people you need to to speak to and you need to reach Um, for that. And, and encourage and inspire So I believe every person has a book in them So next Saturday 10 to noon I will be at Strayer University In Newport News um, You can go to thejoyguru.net Which will have on the Save the date page The Eventbrite link To that instructional class You know awesome. I forget some of the things I'm doing well You're <laughs> like doing, a lot. I'm doing a lot You know yeah, yeah I, I forget but it's all good. It's all good.
0: That's good.
1: I don't know how well, many more books what? I have times to crank out.
2: <laughs> are you? Are do you write several books at a time? Because I'm writing three at the same time. And whatever you know, hits me, is the book that I go to.
1: See, I used to write. I have like tons of books somewhere. You know, uh-huh. partially finished, whatever. The past two books I wrote, it was just basically for my spirit. They came out, so they were written individually. But now, you know, because we also write for, you know, Super Fabulous, excuse me, Supernaturally Fabulous magazine. I cannot mix up that title. (laughs) That's how I met Danielle Truitt. Um, I write for magazines. I, I, you know, do writing for a lot of other things. I even ghostwrite for other people. But right now, I really haven't had a lot of time to write for me. Yeah. So
2: you're writing for you this time?
1: Uh, Not really (laughs) I'll say this In this season It has really been about Stirring up the gifts In other people And helping them Write their story I'm really not writing Like my books Or anything Mm. At present But we we never know There may be another book
2: Now is this the workshop That I asked you To remind me of? Yes it is Have you reminded me
0: yet?
1: I thought I did I, I couldn't remember did I? No, did not do well, that. Well, Will Baby, it's this Saturday from 10 to noon on September the 26th in Newport News at Straya University. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> See, I just gotcha. reminded you, won't God do it? Mm. You, you.
2: you know, sometimes you and I, because, you know, you and I, we talk on the phone all the time. Either we're talking on the phone or we're texting. Um, sometimes yes. we get so engrossed that we forget that we do have co-hosts. And I would be a little remiss if I didn't invite them in on our conversation and at
0: least briefly ask them.
2: Yeah, and at least ask them how was their weekend. So I want to introduce our wonderful co host to the show. How are you, ladies and gents, doing? Doing
4: well. Doing well. Doing Doing pretty good.
2: Pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) Yes. So how was your weekend, Shay?
1: My weekend was great. I just started playing flag football, so this oh, was we? second game. Yes. I can't stand exercise, but I love sports. So mm-hmm. my competitive okay. spirit comes out, and I get all excited. So all right. I think I caught the ball, which is exciting because I get Did nervous. they come so pull your
2: flag off? I remember that from school. Flag my flag
1: off. kept falling what? off by itself. It was the worst <laughs> thing ever. And, like, you're down <laughs> if your flag just falls off. So, But it was fun. Who's yeah, all down? this about them pulling your flag off?
2: Flag Isn't that football? They, they don't tackle you, they pull your flag
1: no. yeah, See, that's I don't tackle. like that right there That's not going to work for me <laughs> You, you want, want to be tackled. <laughs> tackled No, I want to tackle wanna somebody else <laughs> <laughs> oh I want to tackle somebody else, yes You got some pencil progression you need to let out <laughs> Yeah, yes, that's all I'm saying <laughs> She
2: is something else Liz, how you doing, Liz?
4: I'm good, Will. How are you? I'm doing
2: good, doing really good. How was your weekend? You
4: no, know, my weekend was great. You know, I just, you know, went and bought a puppy off of.
2: Oh, oh you yeah, know. you did
0: post yeah. a picture. Yeah. It's
4: so a boy though. Cleaning up. It's a boy. His name is Oreo. So I've been cleaning Aww. up after him all weekend. Oh, but no. it's fun. He gotta yeah. get that together. He does quickly. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh Lord. Oh, I've man. got
2: many a dog
4: behind that. Oh. Yes. Oh, Danielle. Hey, hey hey, Will. How you doing?
2: Hey, Boo. How you doing? How was your weekend?
4: Oh, my weekend was stressful. I was arguing well, with a teenager who thinks she's grown, you know. oh That's
0: her you know, I start, job.
1: I started early, so, you know, my daughter is about to be 14 next week, but she thinks she's 22. And uh, whenever we get back to school... You see other kids doing grown folk things, um, and so you want to do grown folk things, and you forgot who your mama was. So I spent the weekend re-educating her on what I'm not going to have. So that was the uh, weekend. Tons of okay. I well, love it.
2: well, as long as she doesn't rebut what she's not going to have,
4: that's going to be good, right? Well, then I'm going to be on the news because I'm okay. not about that life. all well, are you
2: through? <laughs> now, this is what I'm not going to have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you coming at me like that?
1: I'm gonna be yeah.
5: on the news.
1: Y'all okay. gonna need some bail money if she come oh, at me okay. like that. Uh-uh. <laughs> but that was my weekend in a yeah. nutshell.
2: And Mr. Nathan Whitfield,
7: how are you? Well, I'm glad we got to say something. You know, <laughs> I'm sitting over here, and at first I said, "Well, I'm in jail." You you in jail? No, I'm not in jail. I'm out. I'm oh. out. I'm out. And I'm just <laughs> Ooh, trying to figure out. All.
1: He fell it free. Because
7: I'm all dressed up, with, and I'm trying to figure out. I say, well, well are they going to let us speak or not? I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. I just, you know, we think, I just, it's like I, come
1: on first, Nate. I'm I sorry.
7: blinked my eyes, and we was in an interview. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on.
1: <laughs> I need you to stay present. You got roll with I it. To I don't know about the it.
7: other co-hosts. <laughs> I don't know about the other calls, but I had something to say. And, I mean, I, I don't understand how she got on and she had something to say before I had something to say.
2: Oh, Lord.
7: Well, well, well welcome to, to
2: the, the show, you. Nathan. We appreciate Thank you so being much. Here. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much. Love you, Nathan. And how was Love your weekend?
7: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a it was uneventful. Un- I did everything oh. that I wanted to do in bed. Oh. Mm.
0: Okay.
7: Mm. Mm. Oh. She,
2: this is okay. We have families that tune in. You, you realize that,
1: that right? didn't well, say all of that. Now you take it and Exactly. Left. See, that's what I'm oh. saying.
7: See, <laughs> okay. that's why my friends are Christian friends, because they oh, are oh, yeah. <laughs> when you When you have these worldly friends, that's where they mind go. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. okay. Hey, you, Lord, you're right. You're right.
7: Lord's still working
2: mercy. on me. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, baby,
1: what's the show about tonight? Yeah, let's talk about the show tonight. The show is very interesting. Um, We are going to have Laura Johnston Cole, who is actually a survivor of the occult. Uh, We talked about it last week with Jonestown. Um, So she's going to come and talk to us about some of the signs that were missed, um, just how it was um, going through that experience. Uh, We'll also have local gospel recording artist, P. Price, um, who's going to share about how when he was climbing the musical ladder of success, there were some things he witnessed that made him walk away in his search for God. And now that he has found God, he is back in the musical industry, but in a different way on a journey to inspire and transform the world. And then we're going to have a very special segment by our co-host, Shay Malone, who's going to yeah. debut her segment. Yes, authentically you. That's awesome. So we're ready awesome. for that. Um, so on that note, we're gonna take a quick commercial, but the phone lines are open. Um, one seven one three nine five five zero seven nine three. And you're listening to Let's Face It, we'll be right back. <laughs>
3: Human voice. It can be sweet as music. Powerful as thunder. And
0: so my fellow Americans!
3: Cheerful as laughter. But for millions of people, it can also be a sign of COPD. This serious lung disease can make it so hard to breathe, you often can't catch a breath or finish a sentence, let alone carry a tune. And many who have COPD don't even know. That's where your voice comes in. If you think you or a loved one have symptoms, talk with a health care provider. Early diagnosis can mean better treatments and quality of life. Join us in raising our voices for the millions of COPD who can't. Learn more. Read better at NIH.gov. From 1945 to 1965? People born during these years are five times more likely to have hepatitis C, but most people don't know they are infected. So even if you try to eat right, exercise, and take care of yourself, you can still have hepatitis C, a serious liver disease that often has no symptoms. In fact, people can live with hepatitis C for decades without feeling or looking sick. But over time, hepatitis C can cause serious health problems including liver damage, liver failure, or even liver cancer. Getting tested is the only way to know if you're infected with hepatitis C. That's why the CDC recommends everyone born from 1945 to 1965 get a blood test for hepatitis C. Treatments are available that can cure this disease. So talk to your doctor about getting tested. It could save your life. A message from the CDC. I'm a firefighter. A teacher. I'm a farmer. I'm a barber.
1: A waitress. A mom. We're all part of your community. Every day we move in and out of each other's busy lives.
8: It's easy to take for granted all the little moments that make up our everyday.
7: Some are good,
0: others not so much.
8: But that's life. It's when you experience a moment of uncertainty. Something or someone's behavior that doesn't seem quite right. These are the moments to take a pause. Because if something doesn't feel right, probably not. It's not about paranoia
2: or being afraid.
8: It's about standing up and protecting
1: our communities.
2: One detail at a time.
1: Because a lot of little details can become a pattern. We, 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 we trust our instincts
7: just
3: like you should.
1: Because only you know what's not supposed to be in your everyday.
3: So protect your everyday.
8: If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities.
9: Not on my watch, our military service members say, as they volunteer to serve. Not on my watch, they say, as they leave their families behind to keep the rest of ours safe. As they move out, stand firm, and take fire. So not on our watch, we say, to the severely ill or injured veterans who can't get the care they deserve, the therapists they need to walk again, the treatment they need to talk again, the lifetime of day-to-day help they need to live full and independent lives. When there's no more government funding or a nursing home seems like the only option or everyone says there's no hope for recovery, we won't leave one warrior behind. Not on our watch. Find out how you can do your part at findwwp.org.
8: To fasten your seat belt, insert the metal fittings and tighten the strap. And in the event of a sudden rush of cabin generosity, your seat cushion can be used to grant wishes. How? By donating your airline miles to Make-A-Wish. Why? Because your frequent flyer account is stuffed as fat as your carry-on. And just like the workout clothes you packed, you're never gonna use all those miles. But if you donate some to make a wish, you can give wishes wings and put sick kids right where you're sitting now. No, not in seats to Newark, seats to fun family places, breaks from treatments, doctor visits and hospital stays, wishes to feel better, and lots of times get better too. Push your call buttons if you feel me. Alrighty then, well once we reach cruising altitude, you can use your electronic device to make your pledge of miles or money to make a wish at givewisheswings.org. That's givewisheswings.org. And then move about the cabin with pride, knowing that you've made a huge difference in the life of a -a make-a-wish kid. Because wishes work wonders, people.
2: Welcome back to Let's Face It. We are your host and we are back in the studio. Mr. Nathan Whitfield, he was entertaining us all week with some jokes that he came up with. Nate, I know you had told me one of them. What was it? Do you recall what it was that you asked me? And I said, you should ask the other co host and see if they figured it out.
7: Nate. I'm trying to figure. <laughs>
2: yeah, I I I know exactly what you're trying to do. <laughs> it was something about it was. You asked, about the, it. you asked me about the. You um. all how do you sell something? And then <laughs> no, Melissa's, I can't do that Mel, anyway. Melissa. Why, uh, Melissa? Oh, did Melissa. I've already
7: it. sent that. I already I sent that to them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't understand why sure. I didn't I get it. I know I'm
2: not slow. I know I'm not slow. You I just are to slow. Make sure. I just
7: want
2: to you make are sure are some slow. other people didn't get it as
7: well. Yeah, they got it. Okay. They got it. So, um, I, see, you done, you done caught me off guard. He to
1: mess you up. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I can't say this one thing. Speaking of messing up, Liz, you got me in trouble. <laughs> Wait, how did I get you in trouble? Liz's segment got me in trouble. Um, I had a couple of feedbacks, a little you know <laughs> some feedback, some remarks and um people people you know your 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 segment on the download they ain't had no problem with that. They didn't have problem with what people said about whatever. But the one question I kept asking or I kept being asked is. Well, you didn't say anything when she was talking about that minister. That minister that was saying that his anointing didn't affect anything about him being on the down low. Oh, and, you know, Lord. you should have said something because, you know, you, and then you got the whole side that, well, it's not right for you to be preaching in the church if you're on the down low. And you should have said, so that I was just going to tell you, that that little comment got me in trouble because they said <gasps> I didn't say
7: anything. And what did you say?
1: I was about to say, I need to know your response. Yeah. Why, why y'all had to ask me that? Um. Well, here it goes. My, my issue was this. I said I really believe it depends on your church. We have to remember that we are in the age where we do have affirming churches. Yeah, I, I feel like it's anything. It's like a, a organization or it's like a, a business or a club or whatever. There are certain rules and standards. So, I feel like if you are part of something you know we all know there's certain traditions traditional churches where there's just a certain standard where if if it's not if you're not x y z you cannot serve in this capacity. Well, if that's the type of church you're ministering at, then I think you should tell them that because that's a part mm-hmm. of your your leadership that's a part of the expectations. It's just like you know for some churches, well, it should be all churches. You you shouldn't be in leadership, and you're a person that doesn't pay tithes. Because how can I tell my congregation to pay tithes, and I never pay them, but I'm in leadership. On the other hand, there are other churches where that's not part of their requirement. That's not part of their standards. That's fine. They don't care. So if you're ministering at one of those churches, then I, I don't think you have an obligation to tell them anything because they don't care. It's just, you know, I think it's according to the rules and the standards of wherever you're actually serving. That sounds crazy. Because, I mean, <laughs> I
7: knew you everybody were got to something. come in. Oh, everybody going to have to come in telling something they done did that week. That's just crazy. Not something you did <laughs> that week. You got to come in. To this followed. week I lied. I had to lie to my husband twice. And then I told my oldest daughter I didn't have no money, but I had $2. <laughs>
1: No. I didn't say Anybody you had to, to go to confessionals, that. okay? I didn't say you had to go to the confessional, Nate. That ain't what I said. That ain't, but you know what? In all fairness, I think that's the of everything. Because this is one of the issues I had in, in, in one of the churches I was formerly a member of. You know, when a girl was pregnant, they would make her stand up in front of the congregation and ask for an apology.
5: Oh, but that's different go, no. That's, a, that's,
1: that's right. different. No, it's that's not. That's for entertainment purposes. You never purposes. made, you never though, made the boy stand up and ask for an apology. So, exactly. what the girl got it's pregnant by It's for entertainment herself?
7: purposes. Oh, for entertainment?
1: Okay, thank you, Nate. <laughs> for entertainment, that ain't right. Why can't we be entertained by the boy that got her pregnant? Oh, I'm it ain't
7: saying. the same. It ain't oh, as okay,
1: funny. Okay, well, <laughs> Nate, everything okay. ain't about comedy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that's so all. you just
1: got me in trouble. That's all
0: earlier this
2: this, this week sorry. i had there was a picture hey, circulating go. through Facebook. I know you guys remember um
0: oh, and no. I, posted, I posted
2: it in the group and since then <laughs>
0: yes, for some no reason,
2: a lot of things have been coming across my email pretty much about the same subject um the picture was a young lady the um african American lady who um they showed her before and after bef- after she was absolutely gorgeous after she had the makeup on, but, you know, eventually the makeup comes off. And she was a little less than attractive, well, a lot less than attractive um,
0: Boy. <laughs> in
2: her raw form. Since then, you know, Woo! I've been looking at things on the Internet, and
0: the question <laughs> I want to
2: pose to you is, wearing makeup, deceitful? And should that make a difference? Um, before I, I hear all of your remarks, I want to read a few of the things from the article that I had been looking through. It's, a, it's written by a very upset guy who had gotten, I guess, catfished or whatever. The lady was yes, beautiful and then, you know, not so beautiful when, when he met her. Uh, let's see. Mm, okay, these have some expertise in them. So, but this, but since Here this is, is the is. Internet, angry male comment, commenters are positively outraged that this woman will lie to them by wearing makeup. Blah, 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 blah. blah. It says, women who wear makeup are the equivalent of men who wear prosthetic muscles under a long-sleeved shirt, a la Superman costumes, because
0: Ooh. that is definitely
2: a thing that normal humans do on a daily basis. Um, he also said that the girl in the photo is apparently not satisfied with the way she looks without makeup and uses makeup to artificially portray a person more, more people would find attractive. So when I said, I think it is deceitful, men go for looks, and for most looks are an important aspect for your potential partner. And the thing that really got me was women get up every day, and it says one of the first things they do before they leave the house is put on a face that lies to the world. The majority of women even refuse to be seen in public without their liar's face on, and they claim men are deceptive. Ha!
0: Are you angry? So my
2: question to you (laughs) is, do you think when you, and, and and I look, from being in that industry, I look at it as being, you take care of yourself. Um, do you think wearing makeup is deceitful? Do you think, I know whenever I co I'll let her explain it, mm. Oh uh, do she you
4: can't.
1: think
2: wearing makeup is deceitful?
1: This is Danielle. I wouldn't say wearing makeup is deceitful, but I would say that if you know that when you place it on your face, you look like a very different person. If you're okay. going to engage in a relationship with someone, you need to give them the opportunity to see you both ways
4: because mm-hmm. there's going
1: to be a chance when you ain't going to be able to put your face on and he's going to mm-hmm. need to love you without that mm-hmm. chance. So Preak, sister, I freak. would say it's deceitful, but you need to be sure when you're in a relationship with someone that they get to see all parts of you. Now, out in the street, I don't want Will to see the bags under my eyes, so I need to do something about that. <laughs> And <laughs> a relationship, that's different Yeah, yeah Who else? Alicia, what did you say? Oh, I was trying to hold my peace And get everybody else to 10 Now see, Danielle I so agree with everything you said, girl That was on point But have you seen that picture? <laughs> Jesus That was like night and day I mean, it was so bad I had to look and go Is that the same woman? So for him, I don't mean, excuse my friends, but if I was him, I'd be pissed off too because what she did to me was deceitful. And, and okay, Will, Nate, you both are, you know, acclaimed makeup artists, so you know yeah. Yeah. The, the the miracles y'all can perform yeah. with skill and some makeup. I mean, you, we could take you, what what did Cat Williams say, from nothing <laughs> to something. Yeah. I mean, it it, it it's beautiful. But she had, like, one of those transformations. Like, I, I'm not saying she was nothing, but, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, we're talking about scarring. We're talking about, you know, to me, the, the picture almost looked like you were disfigured to we took you to that right side. You look flawless. And for me, I think with anybody to wake up next to you, if all I saw was that made-up face and then I see that, yeah, that's very deceptive. I mean, we're not talking about covering a couple of blemishes. To say, I said all that to say this. To me, whatever makes you feel good, Mm -hmm. do it. I mean, that's the same thing. People wear shapewear and all of that Mm -hmm. great stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know, if I take you from a size 20 to a size 8, now that's deceptive. I don't care what you had to do for the transformation. That is deceptive. So like you said, Danielle, that person, if it's going to be a serious relationship, you know, you you put your best foot forward, you look cute, da-da-da, at some point they're going to have to see the real you. Right. If it's that dramatic, honey, just let them see it from day one.
7: Or she could just wake up early in the morning and go put it back on.
1: I just don't understand why (laughs) No, no, no. no. If you
7: didn't go in to deceive nobody, you just went to go put your best foot forward. And it just so happened you had to use three – three bottles of foundation to do it. You know what,
1: Nate? I mean, that sounds funny, but from that picture, you really did need three bottles of foundation. To me, that's like a two, three-hour job of
7: makeup. No. She's been doing this for a while.
1: Okay, well, hopefully. She's mastered that look. Oh, That's wonderful, but you ain't getting that in no 10-15 minutes, bro.
7: But, hey. Her
4: (laughs) after looked amazing, not her before. Will taught taught me.
7: Will taught me if the barn needs painting, you paint it.
1: Yeah, the barn okay, needs painting. Okay, but see, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> you yeah, no. your bar See, that no, was, that was, no that was, your barn needs no painting. See, the problem is. your bar had to be towed down with a whole brand new sky. Somebody sound That's mad. The hey. Thing. There's <laughs> a yeah. lot of anger
7: going on. <laughs> you hear it? I, I was hear
1: it. This chick, I she knew what to do with the outline somebody
0: is upset that she knows what to do with it. For
1: the man, I felt sorry For the man. I wanted to sue for him. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a female, by the way. But I understood you, bro. I understood. Okay. <laughs> I understood. okay.
0: Mm. All
2: right. Well, anybody else want to comment before we move on?
4: They
5: I would say some it's live.
4: deceitful. It's, it's deceitful. This is Liz. Uh, <laughs> and
5: I say like, it's deceitful your mind, deceitful
4: because... I've been in a situation like that where, you know, I go to bed to, you know, Brenda and wake up to Beyonce or I (laughs) went to bed and wake up to Brenda. You know, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, who are you? Where did you come from? Which is why I did make the comment. You know, I I don't. I don't date women who wear makeup, weave, nails. I I need your natural all the time. I need
1: who I'm getting all the time. Oh.
7: Well,
4: Liz, you know how I feel
1: about that. You are a brave person. God you bless you. If you can't sow it, grew it. <laughs> <laughs> <For> sure, Nathan. <laughs> it was Siri.
2: It was not me. I knew how to spell grow. It was Siri. You know, she's the ignorant one. Oh, he's you know not going to let that go. Okay. Rocky, well, can't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Ali- Alicia.
1: I, yeah. Alicia,
2: our special guest is here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I you oh, Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray for y'all. Um yes, our special guest is here. And an amazing story. Um you know, it well it's one for me. I remember watching on television. Uh the people's temple, the whole number of survivors that died um on that fateful day, women, children, men. It it was just amazing. Um, so we're going to have or introduce now Laura Johnston Cole, who is actually going to tell us how she survived that day and her experiences as part of that cult. And welcome to the show, Laura. How are you this evening?
5: I'm really good. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you for coming on. And, you know, just... Like I was saying earlier, I remember watching the movie on television. So, you know, there's the movie portrayal, but then there's the real life. And it was just amazing. You got those feelings that all of us have when we're searching for God and when we're searching for religion, and you're wondering how did you go from there to an ending like that. So if you can go back to that point in your life, why did you join People's Temple?
5: You know, I was not looking for religion or faith. I was looking for political action that was going to change the world. I grew up in the 1960s, and while I was in high school and my first three years of college, I watched all the leadership in the United States that I was so proud of and really respected. I watched them all murdered. I saw Martin Luther King and malcolm x uh, Bobby Kennedy, John Kennedy, and Medgar Evers was killed. I mean, I saw these people that really were our future and somehow some bigots and people who wanted to just change the whole course of our history just shot them down in the middle of our in our in our democracy so when yeah. i um in nineteen seventy I started thinking out okay so. What am I going to do? I am not going to live in a world run by bullies. And so I didn't come from a religious background, but I came from a point of view that people should be treated decently. And civil rights, it's not just the law, it's the way it's, if they're, you know, God's truth or my truth or everyone's truth, it's like indisputable. So when I was, you know, growing up and living to that, I said I have to take charge. I cannot be a passive member of this society and not try and change what made that happen. So I started looking around to see what would work for me. Um, I started out. I was working as a at the welfare department in Connecticut uh, after I dropped out of school to get married. And so I was working there, and they had a um, a panther breakfast next door to the little uh, welfare department where I worked, And so Mm -hmm. I started getting interested in what was going on with them. So for about six months, I just joined up with them. And some of the Panthers lived in my house. We had the meetings in my kitchen. And uh, we tried to see what we could do to remedy a really horrible situation. You know, we had civil rights legislation on the books, but there was racism, profound racism in every part of American society. So I tried working with the Panthers. I was a little over my head. It didn't work out as well for me as I had wanted. So after about six months, I kept on my search. I went to Woodstock to see if maybe, you know, free love and drugs would work. That actually never worked for me either. And so about that time, my sister, who lived in the Haight-Ashbury of San Francisco, told me I should get my butt out to California because she was tired of watching me make bad decisions at a distance. So I came out to California, and the very next weekend, she took me up to see Jim Jones in People's Temple in Northern California. She worked in a, the legal field, and so her the attorneys, that I guess she had cried on their shoulders about all my dismal decision making skills, um, they had told her that Jim Jones had this really wonderful, uh, dynamic, politically active, interracial, non denominational, or religious, whatever you wanted group in Northern California, and it just seemed like it was some place that I would fit right in. So I went up there. They seemed a little pure for me at first because I had already, you know, taken care of a lot of business in, in my youth. But um, I eventually, after about five months, did move up to Redwood Valley, and I became a full-fledged member of People's Temple. And so I just loved it. It was, you know, just the political... Um, atmosphere that I wanted. Jim Jones would talk about how he talked to Angela Davis or Cesar Chavez or Dennis Banks. I mean, he, you know, had contact with these people who were my new heroes in trying to fight the injustice I saw all around. So, you know, I joined because I thought he was an articulate, really bright and socialist man and uh, it seemed to be what I wanted, and it seemed like a protected environment. I really thought from day one that he was someone who would be a protector, which is mm-hmm. kind of what I needed at that stage. Mm-hmm. okay. So I lived in uh, Northern California. I worked in the Welfare Department there. I was part of the People's Temple. Uh, I drove a Greyhound bus. I was on the Planning Commission. I did all kinds of different jobs in California, um, in about 1974 or 75, one of our young members in San Francisco overdosed on heroin. And so we had a meeting of the Planning Commission and said, you know, we want to protect our children, and yet we can't really protect them when they go to the street corner and their drugs on the corner. What can we do about it? And so they said, well, let's look around and see if there's some other alternative. And Jim had been to Guyana in the 1960s. He said, "You know, one possibility is going to Guyana. It's English speaking. It's totally mixed—half, um, you know, half black, half East Indian, with a sprinkling of white and Chinese. We would fit right in there. And it's in the tropics. How horrible could that be?" So, wow. about then, we started planning to go to Guyana and started making investment of, um, you know, we got the property from the government of Guyana, and we went in and we built this really amazing community, considering we were there a hot second. You know, we were there. There were 40 people there in 1977 when I moved down in March of 1977. And by the end of 1978, in November, when people died, there were a 1,000 people living in the middle of the rainforest. And it was primitive, but if you look at the pictures, You see, you know, we had five huge dorms, 52 cottages. We had electricity and generators, and we fed 1,000 people three times a day. We had all these different things going for us, so we did a massive amount of work. Um, And I think what happened is that we all kept our eyes on what was going on in the community because we were working hard. And behind the scenes, Jim, who had, you know, been a con man from early on, And had really had a public persona that had fooled us. Um, He started hearing things in San Francisco that people, investigators were looking into different things that had happened in his past. He had been busted in a sting operation in Los Angeles when he approached a police officer. And I mean, a number of different things. And so in San Francisco, people were beginning to question where he got his power Why was it that, you know, Rosalind Carter came to San Francisco and met with Jim for an hour? Or why was it that the mayor or the chief of police or all these people who were elected officials, why was it that they were kowtowing to this man? How did he become a power broker when nobody elected him to anything? He had been appointed to the housing commission. So anyway, people in San Francisco were um, approached by the concerned relatives who had people who had family members in Guyana. And so there started to be this um, investigation and research and scrutiny of what was going on with people's temple. And so Jim knew that, but the rest of us in Guyana, we were really focused on the community and the work. And it took everything we had going to, you know, in the middle of a rainforest to have a group of a thousand people. So Mm -hmm. she knew it was coming. When Congressman Ryan was approached and said, you know, can you go and check this out, concerned relatives wanted him to to go down. And two of the people who had left the temple who were in Jim's inner circle encouraged somebody from Congress or somebody in the government to come check it out because they said people were being held against their will. And so Jim really did everything he could to keep Congressman Ryan from San Mateo from going down there. But he wasn't able to pull that off, and Congressman Ryan arrived. I just found out recently that Jim even um, booked all the airplanes that would fly from Georgetown out to Jonestown. He booked them for three days so that Congressman Ryan couldn't get transportation. So he did everything he could to keep Congressman Ryan from coming in. But eventually, Congressman Ryan just outstayed Jim's plans. So finally, he came in, and he really liked the community. And he said, you know, he could tell by people's faces that they loved it, mm-hmm. and that he was impressed with everything that had happened. Really, in a year and a half, that was an amazing amount of work. It was off the podium, and people started passing him notes that they wanted to leave. So it turned out that there were 20 or 25 people out of a thousand who wanted to leave with Congressman Ryan, and who said that he should not believe anything Jim said. If Jim said, oh, he'd let them leave in two weeks. Not to believe it. these people needed to go with Congressman Ryan, and so in wow. a way, that was the, you know, that was when all hell broke loose, really, because Jim always felt it personally if anybody had any complaint or criticism, and here he had twenty-five people leaving, wanting to leave with Congressman Ryan. Most people wow. who are saying would say out of a thousand people, if you have a thousand people any place you're gonna have at least a hundred people who wanna be someplace else. I mean, mm-hmm. really a thousand people. But because these twenty or twenty five people wanted to leave with Congressman Ryan, Jim was just completely at a loss. And of course mm-hmm. he was already mentally ill, he had this, you know, a personality disorder. He was addicted to the drugs he was taking. He was super paranoid because of the drugs and so he had all these other things going on. And what he had done is he had so browbeaten or you know or uh, manipulated the people close to him, no one stood up to him, and I think really that his insanity caught on with the, his secretaries and mistresses who protected him from the rest of the congregation seeing what was going on with him, and so they were infected by what he did. So even the last day when he was almost incoherent, they just followed the instructions he had set out. And they were the ones who, you know, got the poison, made it, passed it out, and everything. Because he was just sitting at the podium, and it was all on them, and they just followed the instructions he had provided. So, uh, Laura,
7: hi, this is yeah. Nate Whitfield. How are you t- tonight?
5: Hi, I'm really good.
7: Good. So, I have a quick question. Um, so, you spoke about the changes that Jim Jones went through and what you feel. Um, Drastically changed him What are some flags What are the flags that you probably Recognize now To determine whether the group was a cult
5: Um, You know First of all I think that in America People do like cults I mean sometimes they call them you know, certain religions that tell people not to vote or to vote for certain candidates or vote against different candidates. I mean, the cult is just short for culture. We have many different smaller cultures within our greater culture. All we can do is train people to realize that everybody has their right to their own culture within the bigger culture. So, a cult, you know, I think when I look around or I look in the newspaper or Even if I see somebody who's a shooter in a black church, those are all cults that somehow have been malignant like a tumor or cancer. But, Uh you know, we're surrounded by other cults that are not so uh, evil. But there are a lot of things that go on in this country that control people's minds that are cult-like, even if they're not suicide cults and they're not murdering cults. So cult Mm. is something, you know, that in the United States people gravitate towards, even gangs are cults. You know, gangs uh, say, okay, come here, and if you live on my block, you're in my gang, and if you want to get out, you're not getting out. And so, so, you know what I mean? So all of those are cults. But so for those
7: who may not be as keen on it, what are some warning signs that they can look for?
5: Okay. Um, one is if there's no transition plan. You know, even when you have a family with a mother, father, son, daughter, grandchildren, in a way the grandparents have a plan, okay, if I die, you get the house or, you know, whatever the plan is. In general, there is a plan of what for what might come. Jim Jones never had a transition plan of someone taking his leadership. So if you join a group and everything is about the personality of the leader and there's no time or effort spent to say, when I die, I'm going to have this assistant minister step up and be the minister. Even Father Divine, when he died, he passed the mantle on. You know, I mean, people pass on leadership. I mean, we have the whole, in our U.S. government, if something happens to the president, the vice president steps up, I mean, almost any organization and family would have some kind of leadership plan. Jim's plan was to be the leader, period, or exclamation mark, that's it. So a really obvious flag is that. Another is if he thinks you want to move away into a remote site, so that you don't have contact with your loved ones and family members. I mean, we even before we were in Guyana, we were in Redwood Valley, California, which is a very rural kind of remote area two hours north of San Francisco. So Jim really did like the privacy or the secrecy that was allowed in those smaller areas. So, I mean, that's another one, too. If you're going to be in a big public area, there's a lot of safety. There's a safety net around you. You could go to the corner and get help. So if you, if the person wants you to be very remote, then, you know, that's a whole a flag in itself. And I'd also say, you know, if you are not able to talk to your relatives freely, so in other words, you couldn't go home and complain, you know, this is what happened today in People's simple. And uh, that was totally discouraged. Jim always said, you know, if you have anything to say, um, say it to me, but don't don't put out pearls before swine. Don't tell the secrets of people's temple to anyone. We're kind of an elite group of people who are revolutionary to change the world. Don't think that people are going to understand our point of view, so don't even try. Don't share your thoughts with them. And then on top of that, don't question me. I am the leader. So people had no place to go with their complaints or their issues. Nobody, you know, they didn't have a a forum to say, you know, I think this was like this decision was made too hastily. There was no way to question Jim Jones. He didn't allow it. So, I mean, those are some really obvious ones. Um, The other one is if you don't want to, you know, if you're not allowed to leave, um, that's definitely a flag. When people were in Jonestown, Jim said, told many, many people, you know, here's what I want you to do. We have a 1,000 people living in the middle of the rainforest. It's primitive. We want it to get together. Commit to stay here two years. Let's build the whole community. Let's get it together. And at the end of two years, you can go. So with me I loved Jonestown. I loved Guyana. I loved the community. I loved to see the way it was working. And so for me I didn't really give it a second thought because I thought, you know what, he brought people down here, they came and you know, maybe they should put in some work before they go back. At the time, that's what I thought, looking back, of course, that's absurd. We're American citizens. we have a right to choose. People chose not to be there. It was within fully within their right to leave that day and walk out or contact relatives, get money for a ticket, any of those things. But Jim had eliminated all those kind of all of our rights within the group. You couldn't leave until he was ready to let you go, and the people who had more of a sense of things, they actually said, "You know, he's not going to ever let anybody go." And uh, at the time, I thought two hours was probably going to work. I mean, two years would probably work, and then he would let people go. But absolutely on reflection, he had no intention of anyone ever leaving. We were going to work there, get it all done, and stay. That was, you know, what he wanted, and that's what he was going to have happen.
4: Hi, Laura. This is Liz. I have a
5: question. Hi. Okay. Um, do you keep in touch with any other survivors? Yes, you know. In fact, I um, I'm in touch with almost all the survivors. They're on my email list, and we set up different events. And I'm doing oral history, so I have nine oral history interviews I've already done that have been transcribed, and pretty soon we'll have them on the Jonestown Institute site, um, both the transcripts and the uh, interview. But the other thing that happened is when I was doing the oral history with these nine people and talking to other people about it. I decided I would really like to go back to Jonestown. When I was in Guyana, I lived in Georgetown the last few weeks. I never got back to Jonestown. And I really felt like I had my goodbyes to say. You know, I felt like I was yanked out, but I didn't really, I wasn't able to close it the way I would like to by saying goodbye and goodbye to my friends who died there. So, I sent out to the other survivors if they would like, if anybody else was interested in going back, and 22 people wrote back to me within 24 hours and said they wanted to go back. So now we have a documentary crew, and we're going to go back next March. Pretty amazing. So, you know, about half the survivors I'm in touch with have no interest in going back. They say, you know, been there, done that, and I do not want to revisit but the others do want to go back and have everybody has their own reason for how they think it would help out in the situation. Hi, I can't tell if I'm on. I'm not hearing anything. Hi, Laura, this is Danielle. Hi. So good. Hi.
1: Hi. It was so quiet. (laughs) I was was (laughs) making sure you were finishing your thoughts. I noticed uh, this, that you earlier you were talking about how so many people had passed away, um, and a few a few people survived. You, how did you survive it? What what um, kept you from passing away?
5: So in Jonestown that day, nine hundred and fourteen people died, and it just happened that at the end of October of nineteen seventy eight, Jim asked me if I would go back into Georgetown and and work in Georgetown. And so what I did is buy food. I went to the abattoir and got the meat and put it on our boat. And the boat would take a 24-hour trip from Georgetown up into Kaituma and offload and then turn around and come back. And my job in Georgetown was to fill the boat each time with, you know, parts of machinery that had broken down or that we needed to replace and all the food for the community that we couldn't grow in Jonestown. We had hoped to be self-sufficient in Jonestown, but once we got there, we realized we were going to always have to buy more food in Georgetown. We could not be self-sufficient. So, anyway, Jim had sent me into Georgetown in the end of October, and it was right before Congressman Ryan's visit. And because it was a 24-hour boat ride each way, go for the day. It's not like flying someplace and Mm -hmm. coming back. So I was still in Georgetown, so when Congressman Ryan came into Guyana and went to Jonestown, there was a group of about 50 of us in the Georgetown house, all in one house. The basketball team was there with several of Jim's sons and other people who had doctor's appointments and other kinds of appointments in town and people who were doing the, you know, the relationships with the local government and uh, picking up people from the airport who were flying in. So there were about 50 of us that lived in the house, so we all survived. Except for four people. And uh, it turned out when everybody was dying in Jonestown, there was a coded message that was sent to Georgetown and San Francisco and Redwood Valley and Los Angeles, where we had temples. And the coded message was everybody is dying in Jonestown. It's time for everyone to commit revolutionary suicide. So mm-hmm. in Georgetown, the woman who got the message, Sharon Amos, she got the message and she talked to Jim's sons, Stephen and Jimmy and some of the other um, people in leadership in in Georgetown. And Stephen Jones, who was 19, said, absolutely not. We are not following that instruction. It's all over. We are not doing it. So he told Sharon he wasn't even going to tell people, we're not doing it. And he wanted to go back to Jonestown and stop it there, but really by then it was too late. But he stopped it, except for Sharon, because she had been Jim's confidant over the years, and so when she got the message, there was no question in her mind. So she did kill her three children and herself oh, in the oh Georgetown my. house. Lord, do you know what was in the juice that they took by chance? I always wondered um, what no, that was. I know it was cyanide, and I don't. I don't okay. really know the details. It was a flavor aid that was somehow from I don't know Great Britain. I don't know how. We got it in Jonestown from Britain, but we had flavor aid and with the cyanide laced in it. Oh, okay.
1: Definitely a powerful story, powerful testimony um, that you, you happen to not be there and live to, to, to share share the story. Absolutely. Laura, no, we well,
5: no, uh, appreciate didn't... your... Oh, go ahead.
7: No, you can go ahead.
5: Um, you know, the reason that I talk about it, you know, I do a lot of events and speaking engagements. And really the reason that I really felt moved to talk about it is over the years, everybody knows everything about Jim Jones. You know, they know what he had for breakfast, how he tied his shoelaces, all that. And yet 917 other people died. And it just mm-hmm. makes me so angry that we know so much information or the media, you know, newspapers would tell everything about Jim Jones and his life. And yet 917 of the very best people, certainly the best people I've ever met in my life, they were the ones who died, who sacrificed everything. And so one of the mm-hmm. reasons I, I want to talk is, you know, I kind of like Jim Jones has gotten all the attention when the people who made the greatest sacrifice, who lost their lives and the lives of their loved ones and dearest people, They're the ones who, you know, people make terrible comments like we were sheep led to slaughter or we were passive or things. We were the visionaries of the time. We were people who did not sit back, watch news that got us so depressed we were immobilized. We saw the news and we said, well, we have to change that. What are we going to do to kick some butt and get in there and do something right about this? So they were the people who really wanted to change. I was in an event at a library and a woman asked me if the people who joined People's Temple were kind of the depressed people in our society. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's absolutely the opposite. Because even when I'm depressed and I stay out, stay home, you know, with the lights out and the door closed, I mean, that's what depression is. You want to be in a dark area that feels kind of like a turtle shell or something. We were just the opposite. We were out on the front line. We would protest the Fresno Bee, or we would pro- protest the closure of a of a hotel for seniors, or you know, we would be protesting. If we had been around when Katrina happened, we would have been We would have been protesting that. We were people who were activists. Every day was spent trying to figure out how to make the world better for our families and our loved ones and our society. So, you know, I really do to show, you know, we were not just doofuses. We were not stupid people who were just let off. You was know a con man. People are conned every day. I mean, yeah. made off made up of millions and billions of dollars of people who probably had money to go to college and have higher education and have lawyers, and he stole them blind. We also fell for a con man, and especially at the end when Jim was mentally ill and paranoid and addicted to drugs, all that was hidden from us by his mistresses and secretaries. It's not like he went around looking like a dope fiend in the middle of Jonestown and then we were going to take his word. He was polished up before he came in the, you know, into the areas where we were. He was, uh-huh. you know, kept out of the public areas when he was down for the count. And so it was a group of people who manipulated it so that we never saw that he was completely falling apart and deteriorating. And wow. it wasn't that we were dumb; it was that people pulled the wool over our eyes. And you know, we see it every day. That's not unique to Jim Jones. Our government has done it. Our, you know, political leaders have done it. States have done it. Um, You know, religious leaders have done it. People have done that over the years. We've seen it over and over. So Jim Jones was not unique. The thing that was unique about Jim Jones is that he said, you know what, no one's going to get any of my glory. I'm going to be famous because I put together Jonestown. Oh, okay, I'm not going to be famous because, you know, their complaints and I'm not a perfect purpose, okay, I'll be infamous. You can blame me for everything, but my name is going to go on the top of the list down in history mm-hmm. as being, as getting that glory. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so she would not share it. She didn't care who yeah. was good or bad. So that's Well, a, you know, thank that's you, Laura, for sharing reason.
7: your story with us um, and to our listeners. We really appreciate your testimony today. Is there any way our listeners can stay in contact with you?
5: Yes, you know, I do love questions. I do speaking engagements, and a lot of times people say, you know, this is probably a touchy question. I have heard every question, and really, I want questions. I'm a teacher, I'm a retired teacher, and what I know from teaching is that you always follow the curiosity. If somebody's curious about something, that means that I might be able to give an answer that would clarify it or, or you know, satisfy their curiosity. And that's what I love. That's the whole point of talking about something. It's a very difficult subject. And in many ways, people are self-select who can even stand to hear about it. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody can do it. So if you have curiosity and you have questions, um, I wrote a book, Jonestown Survivor and Insider's Look, and that tells, you know, a lot of the details of day-to-day, how I got into People's Temple, um, how I survived, more of the detail of it, what I've done since then, and all of that, why I became a teacher and I'm an activist, you know, I was part of the Occupy movement, I work with the... ACLU and Innocence Project and um, just so many different groups that are trying to make the world better. I didn't give up after People's Temple. I just said, you know, I can't give up. It's not fixed. Jim Jones took down People's Temple, but it didn't make the world better. I have to have some impact on the world. So anyway, so people can buy my book. I have a website, www.jonestownsurvivor.com. I've posted 2,200 pictures up on Flickr.com in a People's Temple photo photo gallery. Um, My book is out in print and audio and Kindle and Nook. So you can buy it right off of Amazon. If you want a signed copy, you can get it right off my website, JonestownSurvivor.com, and I'll send you a signed copy. So all of those are available. But I do love questions, and even if you have questions, you can just write it to my website and I get back to everybody. I mean, I have um, right now, you know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, I have like five or six different inquiries going on that people want me to answer questions or talk about a certain aspect of people's temple. So I love those questions. I love to get the information out.
7: Okay. Well, we'll definitely help you get that information out. And thank you again for being a guest on our show tonight.
5: Thank you so very much.
7: Have a great day.
5: Thank you. You too.
7: Well, we'd like to thank our listeners for listening to the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but thank you for listening to Let's Face It radio station. We'll be back with another show with another topic soon.
6: What's up, y'all? This is John Legend for LifeBeat, the music industry fights AIDS. Every hour of every day, two young people between the ages of 13 and 24 are infected with HIV. The AIDS crisis is not over, y'all. Be smart. Use protection. For more information, log on to www.lifebeat.org.
3: Were you born from 1945 to 1965? People born during these years are five times more likely to have hepatitis C, but most people don't know they are infected. So even if you try to eat right, exercise, and take care of yourself, you can still have hepatitis C, a serious liver disease that often has no symptoms. In fact, people can live with hepatitis C for decades without feeling or looking sick. But over time, Hepatitis C can cause serious health problems, including liver damage, liver failure, or even liver cancer. Getting tested is the only way to know if you're infected with hepatitis C. That's why the CDC recommends everyone born from 1945 to 1965 get a blood test for hepatitis C. Treatments are available that can cure this disease. So talk to your doctor about getting tested. It could save your life.
1: Welcome back to Let's Face It. This is Alicia Brown. You know, I had the privilege of seeing this next amazing talent perform live a couple months ago, and instantly I thought that is the next Ty Tribbett, or definitely somebody on that level. And then we have to have him on this show. He has an amazing talent and amazing gift, but he also has an amazing testimony. Um, so I want you to help us welcome to the show uh, gospel recording artist P.L.A. Price. How are you doing this evening?
6: Hey, what's going on, family? How you doing tonight?
1: We're doing awesome. Actually, it's Good. our pleasure to have you on the show.
6: Yeah, my pleasure and, you know, also.
4: All right.
1: Well, you know, there's so many young men and women who who aspire to get in the music business. What initially right. attracted you?
6: Well, um, I have a really long background of of music. Um, My parents, of course, they raised me with the old school gospel, you know, the uh, Donnie McCorkins and the, you know, Fred Hammonds and all that. And then, you know, my brothers were into a lot of different genres of music. And uh, what initially attracted me, honestly, was was, when I was a young man, (laughs) I was kind of just hanging out in the living room and then... Uh, Apollo came on And okay. um, you know There was, was people up there on the stage And they were singing and dancing And I was like dad what are they doing and he was like this is the <laughs> Apollo they're, they're You know they're singing for everybody I was like I want to do that <laughs> you know? Oh okay so, initially, Yeah you know it was, it was the Apollo And then of course you know the Jackson 5 records And all that stuff and I was like dude I, I want to do this This young kid is up there dancing and singing I got to do this so, Right yeah. Well,
1: you know, we we talked a little bit about um, some of your, your information about how, you know, as you were going into the music industry and you were having that climb and getting around those major artists, um, right. you, you had an interesting, unique experience. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that?
6: Well, um, I had a lot of experiences um, with the secular arena in particular. Um, I used to travel back and forth to Atlanta with my good friend, D.P. the Prophet, um, from Alaco Records. And um, through him, I got to meet and be around and kind of be in the creative process with, you know, a lot of different uh, major artists, you know, from like Grand Hustle and so, so Death and, you know, the the really major artists that people kind of bat-eye at, you know. They're just like, wow, they okay. have everything. Um, and really, uh, I guess one One uh, situation in particular was I got to go to uh, a really well-known studio with a lot of uh, well-known artists um, in Atlanta. And, you know, just kind of being around these guys, uh, you know, as we went into the studio, you know, it was a lot of glitz and glamour and, you Mm -hmm. know, platinum plaques on the wall and, you know, the girls and, all the stuff that you would you would probably imagine that you see in like the music videos and all that stuff, right. but um, the reality was a little bit different, though. You know, just kind of being in that, um, yeah, just kind of being in that atmosphere. It was really draining, and there was a like an overwhelming sense of paranoia. You right. know, it's yeah, it, it's a very unsettling atmosphere. Um, you know, of course you know, kinda of being around it for the first time, you know, your eyes are wide open, your nose is open, you're like, Oh man, I made it, I'm here You right. know. But then <laughs> but then, you know, when you when you kinda of like really get into it and uh you know, you listen to the conversations and the actions that happen and you know, uh just just to be honest, um, a lot of the people it's just like, man, this this really can't be the music industry. Like, this this really oh, can't wow. be real. Yeah, yeah. It, because it, it, I remember it took there was time.
1: one point. I'm sorry, go ahead.
6: No, go ahead. What were you asking?
0: There,
1: there was one point um, that it, it was said in your um, bio that you actually decided to leave. And, and that's did. what I want you to tell us a little about because, you know, you're, you're here now. You're here with the major artists. You're in the studio. Right. You're at that point right. where every musician has dreams of being. So what is it that you experienced that was so thought-provoking that you actually decided to walk away?
6: Well, with me, it's a little bit different than a lot of people. Both of my parents were ministers coming up,
0: Mm -hmm.
6: and I kind of grew up in the church, and (laughs) I always knew that I had a calling in ministry, (sighs) right? But Mm -hmm. uh, I ran away for a long time. You know, my story is the story of the prodigal child the one who was raised up in that house that, you know, that was so spiritual and and things that were, you know, kind of given to me to help me in life, but I ran away from it. Um, And when I ran away from it, I I fell into, you know, the whole secular arena. But being around it, um, like I was saying before, it was really draining and, uh, you know, kind of being in that whole atmosphere just kind of opened my eyes to the reality of the music industry. But um, this one in particular issue, or a situation, Um, I was down in Atlanta. I was in the studio, and, uh, you know, there was everything that you you would think that was in there. And um, pretty much God kind of just, like, made me step to the side. And he kind of just slowed everything around me. And as I was looking around, it was like you could, you saw right through all the fame. You saw through all of the, the high stature that these people had, and I could see how badly they were hurting and mm. how much they they just continued to search for something. And, of course, I know now that they just needed Jesus. But mm. um, they just continued to search for something, and there was just this, this sadness and this, like, this never-ending race that has no finish line, you know, and that's when God started kind of ministering to my heart. And it came in, in, like, waves of questions, like, what are you doing here? Why are you a part of the problem? Why have you ran so long? Why aren't you, you know, uh, doing something to uplift these people's spirits? Yeah, even the people that, you know, that are in the industry that are high up, they need people to speak to them also. They need people to to minister to their hearts also. You can't be right. afraid of the giant land, you know? You know, just like David, you can't be afraid of the Giants in the land. So, um, Guy kind of just brought me back, and, you know, I kind of went and had a private conversation with myself, and it was just like, man, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm really a part of the problem. So, uh, you know, after that, that not hotel, but that uh, studio party, um, kind of left Atlanta. As soon as I got home, I fell down to my face and I repented. And I was like, God, okay, I'm, I'm done running. Um, mm. I'm, I'm yours. You know, I'm going to use all of my talents for you. So okay. really, it, was, it wasn't like a serious situation in particular that kind of just like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm gone. It was just like, okay, God was like, uh, uh, Saul, your name is Paul. It, it's time to go. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah.
7: So yeah that's yeah. how that. so my question is this is Nathan Whitfield um do how you, you going, feel that from being a mainstream artist to mm-hmm. a gospel artist, there's a big change as far as
6: success
7: or a loss of opportunities?
6: absolutely not man there there there's no loss of opportunity or or anything like that a change in success um of course, with the, the secular arena, you have more of, um, I guess, more people praising who you are. You know, they fall out and all that stuff, you know, because you are who you are and all that stuff. But none of that really matters to me. At the end of the day, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll take the peace of Jesus over a Jesus peace any day. So. Okay. Exactly. You know, so it, it, it's, it's not a big loss at all. As, as a matter of fact, you gain more, it's more fulfilling. I have that peace of Jesus, like I said before. So it's like, you know, I actually have something to stand on, and as I'm working for it, it's like I'm like, hey, I'm actually doing something for the world. I'm not just taking away, you know. I'm not just uh, selling this false image of glitz and glam and perfect life, you know, to all these people, all these hurting people and all these hurting youth. It's like I'm actually building people up. So it's, it's much more fulfilling to me. It's much awesome. more
2: fulfilling. Hey, this is Will Strayhorn. How are you?
6: Doing great, man. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Very awesome. good story. Awesome. I wanted to know, you were mentioning all of the the glitz and the glam and the false images that are associated with the secular arena. Did, did you re- face any type of resistance, perhaps, from your friends or your family, you know, when you made that decision that you wanted to go sing gospel?
6: Um. No, I didn't face any resistance. Actually, uh, like I said, both of my parents were ministers, so they tell them they say he's praising God that I actually started listening <laughs> It turned my life around. Uh, right. But my friends, uh, I didn't face any resistance, but I did kind of uh, fall out of uh, relationships with a few people um, that just, yeah, just they just didn't work out from there. <laughs> mm. But you know, um, <laughs> And yeah. you know, moving
2: forward, I just wanted to know, so what is your mission now then? Is it to show other people that, you know, you can sing gospel music? Because I know a lot of the, the singers like the Kiara Shears are showing, they're trying to attract more younger listeners. What is your mission now? You know, what what can we expect to hear from you now in the future?
6: Well, my mission is just to be a, a shining light in a world full of darkness. And it doesn't matter if it's a young person or old person a child or, you know, an elderly person, um, the word of God is the word of God. And, um, you know, I'm actually coming forth with my music and more than just gospel. Like if you listen to my music, it's like, it's pop, it's contemporary, it's hip hop. It's, it's so many different genres in music because of my background. My parents also, by the way, they were all military, you know, they're military, so I'm a military brat. And I got to experience <laughs> a lot of different cultures. So, um, yeah, my music is all over, and I'm really just trying to reach any demographic of people, period. I don't care who it is. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how young they are, you know. So I'm just okay. trying to be a shining light. Yep.
1: And, you know, that's what we all should be doing is pursuing our purpose, pursuing our mission, and doing that, being a shining light to other people. Yes, now, ma'am. talking about that, we have your track coming up, The Light Show. Um, right. Or actually, it's The Light, which is actually off your CD called The Light Show. But before we play it, that musical selection, how can people follow you and actually purchase the CD and see you live and just stay in contact with you?
6: Okay, well, pretty much I have a website, com. That's dot ecom and from there, you can find all of my social media links: my YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, you can send me emails: kellyprice uh, at gmail dot com. If you have any questions, my music is uh, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, pretty much wherever you can find music, you can find it. And also, my full length EP um, "Oe Cities" is coming out October first, so definitely be looking for that. All right. Uh, just- I'm, I'm really excited about that thing. <laughs> I'm excited about that be. thing. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really think it's going to reach a lot of people. Um, the way that we wrote it, um, it's just, yeah, it, it just has that, that thing that I, I feel like is just going to grab so many people's attention and kind of just, like, help them to, yeah, just to open up and be the light of the world. Just like the things that I'm experiencing with God, I shared mm-hmm. that. And I just really want people to experience the things that I'm that I'm experiencing. And also, it's just a begging call to just like shine your light, man. Shine your light. This All world right. is so dark right now. It needs you know, really positive influences. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So without further ado, we're gonna play the track, The Light. Thank you so much, Philae.
6: Thank you so much for having
1: me. You're welcome. Have a good evening.
6: Bye.
0: Crazy light, yeah. Tonight is young. Crank up the speakers loud.
7: So ain't nobody going home
6: Cause he hit me when I call, I ain't even got to dial him up, I'm up on my phone Cause he holds up power, power, gotta put a it drop louder, louder, higher, higher Jump, jump, celebrating with our hands up, jump, jump.
1: heard it here. And now what we have been waiting for the entire night, we're going to have co-host Shay Malone actually premiere her segment of Authentically You. You know what happened? I was on mute. mute uh huh. It's all right, honey. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not on mute. <laughs> I had such a great intro, too. I was talking about what a great show we had. I said good evening to everybody. (laughs) I forgot to unmute myself. It's all right. This is what happened. So um, Authentically You, I want to talk about this, and it's such a passion for me, because um, the masks that we wear are literally killing us. Yeah. So when we look about, we we'll look at things like people that are self-harming. We talk about alcohol and drugs. We talk about porn addiction. We talk about workaholism. Okay. So those are some of the ways. Um, overeating, emotional eating. We look at the bad habits, and we look at the good stuff too, or the stuff that looks good, like um, working really hard, volunteering a lot, um, being the perfect wife, mother, husband, whatever. But a lot of times, these are just the distractions and busyness that keeps us from facing and sharing ourselves. So um, this earlier this week, I read an article on Medium.com, and he was talking about male suicide in the UK, and it's currently the leading cause of death in England and Wales between and in between the ages of 20 and 34. The leading mm-hmm. cause of death is suicide. And he talks about the problem of silence and how men aren't engaging in ways where they can really be themselves, where they can really talk about their struggles and their problems and anything deeper than sports and work and the very surface-level things. So that's what happens is that we have these masks and we're able to show bits and pieces of our lives to people without really sharing the heart of who we really are. So um, back in college, my friends and I came up with a term when we were dating, and we would say that the first few dates you were dating the representative, right? So Hmm. this is who the person wants you to think they are. Uh, But some people never get past that representative. Early in the show when we were talking about makeup, and not wanting to show what we really look like. Some women don't want to show what they really look like because they're ashamed.
0: True.
1: Um so um also Facebook, which has been called fake book by some people because you get <laughs> to show on social media, Oh, I have the perfect life and this is great and everything's fine and I'm doing fabulous and and I will keep it very real. Um as a new business owner, it's really tempting when people ask me how my business is going. Oh, I'm fantastic. I'm it, Everything's going just fine. Okay, so anybody who is starting their own business should know better. Exactly. Please call me on my BS because it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Learning how to um, have more than just, what you love and learning how to do things like the business aspect. When you're starting to build a name for yourself and nobody knows who you are, what you do, and why they should even talk to you. So. Exactly. That's my that's my real moment. Oh, all right. So, what is authenticity? It is being honest with ourselves and others. It's saying yes when we mean yes and no when we mean no. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're telling all of our business to everyone. We're not oversharing. Um, But it does mean that we're able to give honesty when it's appropriate. When your coworker asks you for the 11th time if you can finish up that report for them, can you say no to them? Um, When somebody asks you if you can do that other thing, can you say no? Can you say yes to things? that you really want. Are you able to speak up for yourself? Uh So what's very common is that one of two things happens, is either we're unaware of what we want and need, or we don't know how to express it.
0: Uh
1: So either you say yes when you mean no or vice versa because you really don't realize that this is a problem for you or because you just don't know how to say it. And it starts, see, you know what I'm talking about. It starts, uh, for most of us, it starts in childhood. And what I've seen in my work and my experience, I did counseling and and teaching. I've been working with families for decades, Um, not too many decades. I'm not quite that old yet, but a couple of decades. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what a lot of times I see with people is they don't understand that the children that they have have their own unique personality. They have their own personality traits. They have their own, I'm going to use Alicia's favorite sure. word, purpose. Uh-huh. Yes. And parents unwittingly or caregivers unwittingly shut their kids down. Yes. Oh, you're not high. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't really want to do that. You're too Whatever, so you're too loud, you're too shy, you're too quiet, you're too mean, you're not nice, Um, or you're too nice. And what it all boils down to as we hear these things is we're not good enough. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard of Brene Brown. Yes. Yeah. She's doing a lot of work with vulnerability and shame, specifically with women, um, I like to speak to men and women because I don't think men get the opportunity to voice and to be complex creatures that they are. Right. So, right. But we all have these same internal needs and feelings and wants because whether you call it biology or by design, we all have these needs to be accepted, to be validated, to be told that we're competent, good enough, things like that. And our self-concept is shaped by others' words and actions towards us. So some questions that you can check in with yourself and you can say, am I being, do I feel accepted and loved just as I am? Um, Some of the things, do you know how to handle a situation where you might have to hurt somebody's feelings?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Have you ever been given the language to explain your internal world, your emotional map? Inside Out was a great movie. I don't know if y'all got to see it. I loved it. Yeah, you know, good I loved movie. Kids movie. It was a great movie. I love kids movies uh-huh. anyway. But it it was great because it really explained not only the different emotions, but my favorite part was it gave a purpose for sadness. And so often we're told that our negative emotions are not acceptable. We can't be sad. We can't be disappointed. We can't be frustrated, especially if you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know how to open up about that. So I'm just going to wrap up by talking about how we become authentic. How do we learn to be more real, to really keep it 100? Um. And it comes by being in relationships and community where we're accepted and loved. So you cannot, you can't heal by yourself. You can't become more authentic by yourself. It happens with help. And that help can come in many different forms it can be books, it can be online groups, it can be real life groups, church, friends, family, um, social organizations, athletic teams, counselors coaches, family, friends, and and what you're really looking for is people who make you feel like they know you, being known, and you're loved on top of that. And the flip side of that is being people that are safe for other people. So we need to know that we are accepted, but we also need to learn to accept people. Um. When we had Danielle on earlier, and she was talking about how she was in a bad place when she first got the script, so she was judging the character in the script. And that's what happens for a lot of us. Because of our own issues and feelings, we are harsh towards other people. But if we build a culture or build an intention where we're actually – committed to caring for other people, being a safe place for people, and committed to ourselves and finding our own safe places. That's how you really keep it 100. Absolutely. So, thank you guys for letting me share that, um, and I really hope that is something that y'all will think about and take with you because we need to be able to be ourselves, to love ourselves so that we can really build up ourselves and Great each other. Great job. Great yeah. job, say. Yes.
4: Yeah. Preach! <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> Lord. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I, would
2: be, I would wonder if one of the biggest reasons that a lot of people aren't living authentically is for fear of rejection. Is that mm-hmm. oh,
0: Absolutely.
1: And because it doesn't always work with your line of work, sometimes depending on your career choice, you can't be as authentic as you like to be. Right. You you have to fit. You know why people are
7: authentic?
4: People are not
7: authentic because y'all always judging them. Y'all,
1: you know what?
7: Y'all, okay.
1: Y'all, I don't even think it's that. I think we're in a culture and society where we don't even know what authentic is. Yes. We've been taught, you know, we're so ingrained on fake, 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 you do this, you mm-hmm. do this. We don't even realize when we're being fake. So the whole authenticity, what does that look like? What is that? What does that feel like? A lot of us just have lost touch with that in so many different areas. So That's true. You know, okay. Yeah, That's
7: yeah. true. But I think because we're – because of the society of Facebook and this persona that everybody is living, you know, you on mm-hmm. Instagram swearing you in mm-hmm. Miami and you at the house sitting <laughs> on the couch. But I think that everybody feels that they have to live up to the hype. That's true. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Nate, that's a good point. Because one of the things that I've always would talk to people when we're talking about abuse and we're talking about how to progress from that, is it's okay to say you're not okay and i don't care exactly. whether that's a an adolescent or i'm dealing with someone in their 90s it's like you can just hear a sigh go over the room and everyone sort of pauses for a minute like oh but we're so ingrained and in i have to say i'm fine i'm okay everything's great everything's wonderful and everything is falling apart and you know sometimes we don't stop and think well who told you you had to say everything was great who had to tell, you know whoever told you you had to say everything was okay it's just so ingrained in us. You just put on that mask, you put on that smile, you say this or that, and you keep moving and you keep plugging ahead, but at the at what cost? And really, you know, and as Shay was saying, with her work with children, it's costing our kids. Not to exactly. mention what it costs us. It, it costs our kids and our adults. That's what I was going to say. It always comes out. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing. So when you have on that mask, You're really fighting this internal battle, first of all. So you're always anxious. You're always having this war going on inside of you. Well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if they see this? What if they see that? And unless you have an outlet for that, it's going to come out. And it's going to come. Some people, their physical health suffers because of it. Right. And also, you know, just that pressure. And I think in my mission, that's what saddens me the most. I'm seeing children, five, six years old. Yes, they've been through traumatic experiences, but already we're talking about a series of antidepressants. And I'm not saying those things are not good. Of course, you know, medicine helps with certain conditions. But it's like, you know, we're seeing kids younger and younger commit suicide. We're seeing kids younger and younger having to take medications that we typically would associate with adults who have been through certain things. Um, so it's costing our kids, but you know how did the kids get that way? Because of the adults that are in charge of them as well. So sometimes just that pressure, if it's not, if it's not released, it can actually cost you your life.
2: Hmm. Shea, I would be um, curious to know because given all of the facets that go into living authentically and, you know, living in an ever-changing and ever-judgmental society, mm. do the vast majority of people live, what is the word, inauthentic or disauthentic or whatever, non-authentic yeah. lives? Because I know for me personally, I'm still on the road to living authentic. I'm not there yet, so I'm not going to fake the funk. I'm not there yet. I but I wonder if the vast majority of people are in the process of trying to live that type of life.
1: I think a lot of – I would say the majority of people are living inauthentically because they think that that's what they have to do. Uh-huh. They don't have anybody that they – and this is the thing. You don't have to – like I said, you don't have to be sharing everything with everybody, but you uh-huh. have to have people who see you and know you. And a lot of people right. don't have that person. Right. They don't – They I talk to – when I talk to my clients, I'm talking to people – who have never shared this their story with anyone else, or they've shared it with one or two other people, but they don't Mm -hmm. know how to move forward. Exactly. Shame is killing us. It's killing relationships, marriages. It's killing us. And then I think, as you guys were touching on earlier, there's certain areas that we're more conditioned, we're comfortable with being authentic about, and then there's other areas that you just can't be, or you're told you can't be anyway. Yeah, and culture plays a part in that as well. You know, in some cultures it's not um, appreciated to be authentic and and, and mm-hmm. live in that space because you need to do what's culturally appropriate or you can be shamed. Now that's another good the point. strong black woman, against the the... That is so true. Well, well, I
7: would like to say, awesome job, Shay. Really good yeah, job. Thank, thank you for me. giving us something to think about in our own lives. Exactly. So, Alicia,
1: hear the-
2: what is going on for next week?
1: Whew. Um, awesome, awesome testimony next week. Um, you, you know, we always want to talk about things that people are living with. Um, that, are, that are certainly just true miracles. And, you know, every day we walk by living miracles, and we, we don't even know it. Um, but next week we will have C.J. Hunter, who by all medical expertise should not be alive today. Um, he's going to share his testimony of survival, but what started out to be a simple pain, he he was going through a lot of pain and went to the doctor's office, went to the hospital. It turned into an ordeal between dialysis stage 3 cancer, and surgical mishaps, amongst other things, to the point it just spiraled out of control. This man had 92 days spent in the hospital. And when you hear each facet of his story, it's just mind-boggling. But it got to the point where his testimony today is that he is cancer-free. So we can't wait to have him on the show next week. And we have co-host Danielle... Who will be debuting Her segment And of course, also, We can't wait for that We all need advice On business And branding
2: Exactly Exactly
1: Yeah Cannot wait I for know. that Great show this week Yes
2: Wonderful Does anybody have anything To say to the listeners To prepare them For the week ahead Before we say mm-hmm. goodbye Keep it real no one. Yeah. Keep it real Keep, Keep it 100 Keep it real. Yes 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 And well, I always sure like tune to say
1: it's okay to say that you're not okay.
7: You're always you don't have to, to have
1: pretenses. Oh, I do. It's okay to I say, say no you're no not okay. okay. Yes, honey. And
7: like, and as I like to say, it's okay to sell block tango. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Bye,
0: <laughs> babe. <laughs> <laughs> <Nuts, nuts. laughs>
7: All
2: right. Until next week, make sure that you tune in. Have a blessed week, everyone. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn.
1: Alicia Brown. We hope
0: you've
8: enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting, interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people Real topics, real talk. Let's face it.